Uh, we get to open up uh, God's Word, so if you will, grab a Bible and head over to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, I'll tell you from the start, uh, primary preaching to women today, um, because that's who Paul's addressing in this passage primarily. And so he is telling us in this passage that there is a way to be a Christian wife that is different, that is distinct from those outside the church. And he's going to show us a little bit of what that means today. And so uh, I'll just tell you from the start, I have been anxious to preach this. <clears throat> it was way off, and then we took a break in the summer with the Psalms, and that was great because it pushed this passage away further. Uh, and I, you know, this week I started wondering why didn't I sucker John or Sam into preaching this um, <clears throat> so I could just watch them. Um, and I'll be honest, the reason I was anxious about this is, is because culturally this is a passage, a message nobody wants to hear. Um, and a big reason is that, that either it gets, uh, the meaning gets lost in trying to make submission uh, acceptable to a secular culture, or it gets presented in, in such a way that it seems to support uh, some chauvinistic agenda, and, and you don't want to make either one of those errors. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, as I, I've studied it this week, what I, I've found is that uh, this passage gives some wonderful instruction for marriage, and, and that's really great because uh, a lot of marriages struggle, and one of the most common reasons that marriages struggle is that it's, it's this coming together of, of two sinners who ultimately struggle to submit to the lordship of Christ them, themselves. And uh, <clears throat> so we're going to see how this pertains to, to wives in marriage today, and we're going to see how it pertains to husbands in, in marriage next week. So, um, <clears throat> so we'll see this. So... Um, I'll remind you of this, both women and men here today. Uh, the same Lord who laid down his life to redeem you also ordained that these words be in his word. Uh, these words, this scripture is, is good for your soul. It, it's good for your marriage and it's good for the glory of God's name. Uh, and so, in other words, uh, what we are learning here today, it is, it is good and I hope that you're going to receive it that way. Not as, not as confining, but as, as freeing. Uh, so listen carefully, follow along. Uh, we're going to start in verse 21, because remember we left that hanging last week, and uh, then we'll get, get going here. So uh, Ephesians 5, chapter five, sorry, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, let's pray. Our, the grass withers, the flower fades. Thank you. Uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, if your good word here is misunderstood, if it is applied wrong, if it is rejected for cultural assimilation or some other reason, then the good you intend for this in our marriages will be lost or can be used for hurtful and harmful results, uh, and it won't end in the, the flourishing that you desire for wives and husbands in marriage. So Lord, I ask you to give me wisdom to articulate what your word teaches, nothing less, nothing more, uh, even if it's uncomfortable. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So leading up to, to verse 21 last week, we, we saw what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, that one of the things that goes on to explain is we see these four things, that, that we address one another in song, and we dealt with that 
that we make melody to the Lord in our hearts, and we dealt with that, and, and how we give thanks to God in everything. And, and then in verse 21, uh, here we're seeing this as a continuation that we are filled with the Spirit when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, this phrase will set the stage for pretty much the rest of the book of Ephesians. Uh, builds off of that verse 21 right there. We're going to see how submission is applied to various relationships. Uh, but let me begin by just saying emphatically, submission is not about the value of one person over another person. It's about various responsibilities in order. See, to say that submission is about value would be to say that, that Jesus is of less value than God the Father because he submits to the Father, like we see in John 6.38, where it tells us that where Jesus is speaking, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So this, this Greek word in our passage for submit is hupotasso. And in this word, it requires that the submission of one person to another person of greater authority. Not necessarily greater intelligence, but authority. Not greater value, but authority. Um, so in verse 21, it's, it's not just this um, indiscriminate submitting of everyone to everyone. Uh, you might have wanted to think of it that way, but that's not submission. That'd be like a, a four-way intersection with no stop signs. You know, uh, that exists. Rednecks submit a sport out of it. They call it a figure eight. Uh, and they'll pay good money to watch this, knowing that cars are going to crash into each other in that situation. And I know I, I say redneck. That makes me a redneck because I would pay good money to watch that as well. Full confession. Uh, and so then the submission in this verse is every Christian's responsibility to submit to those God-ordained authorities in their life. That's a wide range, okay? You're going to see wives is the first one listed off here, but it's a wide range. And there are many relationships that require submission. And as, as I list some of these, I want you to think about, are they all offensive? Um, we are to submit to God the Father. We are, uh, Jesus submitted to God the Father. We're to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Christian citizens are to submit to their government or their kings. Children are to submit to parents. Slaves are to submit to masters. Believers are to submit to the elders of their, their church. Uh, even John Dunning and I are called to submit to uh, the presbytery as they serve as our, our elders. Uh, none of us walk about autonomously. And, and that's quite a list. And really, it, it leaves us seeing that everyone is submitting under somebody else or some other organization. And, and what is of great significance in, in this passage and through Ephesians that wasn't actually part of the culture at the time, it, it, it's really unique here, is that here God is uh, talking about the area of submission, and he's giving instruction to the person in authority about the way that they, uh, they exercise that authority and the way that they care for those who are under their authority. That's culturally revolutionary for them. And so then in verse 22 and 23, we get to that line that's so incredibly controversial. It reads, Wives, submit to your own husbands as, the Lord, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Churches have typically responded one of two ways to this passage. Uh, the first one is to find a pen and, and functionally just draw a line through this section. Right? Let's just... It doesn't mean anything because it's incredibly offensive. Um, and, and so if a wife were to, were to come and you know, genuinely ask, how do I obey this, this passage in my, my marriage? 
the answer in, in this situation would be you, you don't. You just don't. Uh, the second response to this has been to hang this uh, around, the around the necks of wives as some sort of heavy stone that crushes spirits and devalues women, devalues their ministry and, and, and the family and in the church and everywhere else in their life. Um, let, me, let me say on behalf of our elders here, we, we value uh, the ministry of women in this church. We, we value their, their ministry in home. We value their ministry outside their home uh, just as much as we value men's ministry in any of those areas as well. Absolutely. Uh, we, we, we know, we've seen it, that if a family is flourishing, it's because a husband and a wife have taken serious God's call on their life to live together as a one flesh union. We, we see that and we desire that. Um, so then let me, let me touch on what headship is here because we see it in this passage, uh, but we're going to get into it more next week. Uh, and you've got to understand that, that marriage is this picture that God has, has given to his church, to the world, to see. It's a picture that goes beyond just a, a man and a woman who have said they love each other and made that commitment. See, marriage is this, this picture of, of Jesus and the church. Jesus and, and the church. Jesus is the groom and, and the church is the bride. That's the relationship. And then it goes on to say Jesus is the, the head and the church is, is the body. Do you see the implication of that, though? Um, if we say that the husband is no longer the head of the wife because of that incredible argument we hear all the time, it's, nine, it's 2017. Isn't that often the argument? Um, that can't be true because it's 2017. And it is true in the sense that it is 2017. And what I want you to see in this passage is that yet even in 2017, Christ is still the head of the church. And so this image remains. The husband is still the head of his wife in 2017. To be the head is to have authority, yes. But the authority is not to, to use this under, you know, to use those under your authority for selfish purposes, but rather for the sake of caring for them, for seeing those who are under your authority flourish and grow and become stronger. Uh, headship means that the Christ is the leader and the protector and the guider of the church in the same way, in a tangible way, that the husband is to be that for his wife. And so you need to understand that a husband and a wife are equally valuable. Those aren't just words. That's what we see in Scripture. One is not greater than the other. And yet for the experience of greater joy and for the glory of God, there is this appointed headship. And so headship does, in fact, mean that if a, a husband and a wife are to make a, uh, a decision on something, that, uh, that his, his decision would, would ultimately be the one to go with. If, if you can't come to an agreement. However, one of the things we miss is that his final decision could be to let his wife decide. Uh, I say that because I don't know that many people think about that. I, I don't make all the decisions in our house. I, I don't. And it's not because I've given up leadership. Um, most of you know this. My, my wife is brilliant. She hates me for saying that in public. Um, she took honors classes all through high school, college, and uh, she graduated 16th out of 900 in her high school. I was like 800 and something. <laughs> uh, she got a journalism scholarship. She went to Texas A&M and graduated with a degree in journalism. She's, she's brilliant. She's, she's gifted in uh, so many areas, and, and yet she'll ask me at times uh, about things, about these decisions, and, and, and I've got to remind her, you know, Laura, you, you've got a good handle on this. You know what you're talking about. This. You research this. You're smarter than me on this. 
I absolutely trust you to make this decision. That's my decision. A and she makes great decisions. Um, so again, we're going to get more into what headship looks like next week, but um, let's just dive in now to what submission looks like for the sake of time. Uh, and, and before we get into what it is and it isn't, uh, you might still wonder, you know, why should I submit to my husband? That's kind of the question, you know, why? Uh, and the primary reason is this. If, if you're a wife, then God has called you to do so as a way of reflecting the relationship between Christ and the church. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, if you look a little further, if you have your, your, you know, your Bible open to Ephesians 5, you can see there in verse 31 and 32. Uh, listen, it, it says there, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Do you see what that means? I mean, has it ever occurred to you that, that submission and marriage fulfills the call of Genesis 2.24 to have a one flesh union? That, 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 that union is, is not just sexual and emotional. It, it actually it involves this, the submission is what we're seeing there in those, in those passages. This, this picture of a, of a body here is so incredibly helpful, you know. Uh, I love that, that God has created this world and in the world of these images that we can see and understand because Christ is the head of his church and, and, and is his body. Just as the husband is the head and the wife of his body. Uh, you see, my body submits uh, to my head. It does. It, it does what I say. Meaning, when I'm, when I'm preaching, I don't have to worry about my hands starting to attack me. I don't, you know. I, I never wonder, you know, is, is, is my hand going to embarrassingly start to pick my nose in the middle of a sermon? It, it just doesn't do that. It, it, it follows that way. If I'm driving down Interstate 70, I don't worry that, you know, my body's going to betray me and open the door and just jump right out. Uh, it, it's not going to happen, and, and, and that's part of the beauty of it. And in fact, you know, each and every body, there, there can only be one head on a body. I know some of you have seen the pictures of the animals, right? There's a two-headed animal here or there. Even in nature, though, the only two-headed animals are these rare genetic anomalies who mostly die within days of being born. And the ones that don't, the ones that live, uh, if both heads actually can control the limbs, uh, what, what research has shown is that they basically zigzag, causing them to go nowhere at all. They, they can't progress. Uh, Two-headed snakes is one of the more common ones. And, uh, and from what I understand there, that the, the heads will actually, one of the heads will attack the other and try to swallow it. That's, that's the way two heads functions in nature. That's why you were born with one head. And your head desires to see your body flourish, to be healthy, to be cared for. And so then in every New Testament passage that addresses the role of the, the wife and the husband, we, we find this edict that, that wives are to submit. There's significance to that. It's a, it's a great significance when a wife submits to her husband. She's, but when she does, she is obeying God's command, and, and she's also honoring the gospel. Let's, let's move on. Um, submission is, is very unpopular in our culture, right? That's why I'm nervous. I need a drink. And, and I think the reason is, is, is for two main reasons. First, we, we've elevated autonomy up, up to this primary understanding. Nothing is to control me. We don't know why we agree with that, but that's kind of something that's been culturally agreed upon, that autonomy is important, and we've elevated above the lordship of Christ. And the second reason this is, this is seen so uh, harshly is that wicked men um, have perverted God's good design into a selfish and abusive means of controlling a woman. 
And you've all read or seen or witnessed or been friends to some situation like that. Um, and so I want to take a moment and, and really explain what submission is not. Um, just to make sure we're, we're clear here. First of all, it, it's not women submitting to men. Do you see this in the passage? It's, it's wives submitting to their own husband. So right now, there are about 3.5 billion men on the planet, and, and you are not to submit to, to them all. This passage is calling you to submit to only one man, the one that you chose to marry. That's it. Uh, second, submission does not mean a wife is obligated to follow her, her husband if he's leading her into sin. Husbands are, are never given the authority to lead their families in a way that is contrary to the scriptures. A, a husband's word is not absolute. God's word is absolute. Never follow your husband into sin. And husbands, don't ever put your wife in that position. You'll lose every time. At least I hope you will. Uh, third, submission does not mean a wife must sacrifice her freedom. Submission does not mean that everything a wife does must be directly dependent or connected to her husband. Uh, you've got interests, you've got hobbies, you've got abilities. Pursue those things. However, it, it does mean that she should not do anything that would be harmful to her husband or cause her to neglect her family. Fourth, Biblical submission is not a call for a wife to suppress her gifts. Not, not a call for that any more than the bride of Christ, the church, is called to suppress her gifts. Brian Chapel puts this way better than I can. I'll, I'll read what he says. He says, The church <clears throat> obeys the godly standard of the Savior as a wife should honor the godly authority of her husband. But we need also to remember that the church never dispenses with the gifts and graces God provides. The church does not submit to Christ by singing a little softer, exercising intelligence a little less, or seeking to be of little influence in the world. Rather, she is called to arrange all her energies and abilities under the grand purpose of glorifying the Savior. It's not a squashing of gifts. Fifth, this does not mean that wives are to be passive or silent. It does not mean they are to agree with everything a husband says. Uh, you can and should give loving criticism when necessary. Uh, I know every woman hates to be held up to the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Am I right about that? I think that's the case. That's what I've heard. Uh, I'm going to do it anyway, because <clears throat> you need to see this. Uh, this woman who, in verse 10 of Proverbs 31, is said to be far more precious than jewels, in, in verse 26 is described like this. She opens her mouth with wisdom. She opens her mouth with wisdom. You can be submissive and still seek to influence your husband. In fact, that sort of engagement is good for a marriage relationship, good for the way you live your life. Six, uh, submission isn't tied to gender roles in the house. <clears throat> uh, who washes the clothes or takes out the trash or how many hours either one can work or play outside the home. You can decide those things. Uh, and submission is going to come into play in the way that you actually do decide those things. But nothing in Scripture says that cooking food is necessarily a role for women or mowing the lawn is a role for men. Uh, seventh, submission is not being an, an indentured servant. Husbands and wives are to serve each other. Uh, eighth, this does not mean that you get all your spiritual growth from your husband. Uh, if he's submitting himself under Christ's will, uh, the overflow of that is you're going to be nurtured, you're going to be encouraged, but you always look to Christ for your hope. There is only one Savior, it is not your husband, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, ninth, this one is of particular importance. 
Biblical submission is never forced. Look at this passage. You've got to see this in the Word of God because people have gotten this wrong so many times. Look at who the passage is addressed to. It's an exhortation to wives, not husbands, to wives. Husbands are never commanded to rule their wives only to love them. That's what you're commanded, husbands. Husbands are, are never told to put their wife in subjection. They are never told to enforce subjection or submission because submission is, is ultimately personally and done willingly or it simply isn't submission at all. Um, someone might ask, but, but what if my wife won't submit to my headship? Then you keep submitting to what God has called you to. And as a husband, that means you keep loving your wife as Christ loves the church. And if you're here next week, men, try to be here next week because we're going to get into what that looks like. Tenth, let me say again, submission is not about uh, worth or importance. Uh, Rebecca Merkel helpfully has stated that Christ has, <clears throat> was equal with God but willingly humbled himself. He offered himself up in submission to God the Father, but not because he was inferior. You see, in, in, in the Genesis creation story, God creates woman uh, because it's not good for man to be alone. He is lacking. He, he needs something. And, and the woman in that situation, in that verse, is called a helper. And the Hebrew word that is translated helper throughout the Old Testament describes God himself as a helper of his people, of the Israelites. And, and surely God is not inferior to us. Uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, shows us that neither man or woman is better than the other with this beautiful poem. He says this, uh, If I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the flower beside the fruit, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better than the other. I hope by going through that list that it helps to squash some biblical or unbiblical ideas about submission. And so he leaves the question still, what, what is submission? What is it as we see it here? And I'll, I'll start with just a definition for you. Uh, it is a divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifting and wisdom. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I'm seeking to be true to God's word here. It might not be what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. And I, I say that because God's word is always what we need to hear and, and to really understand it properly. And, and so here we, we're seeing that submission is a voluntary yielding to your husband as a given authority over you. We, we see one way this plays out. If you look at, at verse 33 in the same chapter there, a little further down, that's a summary statement. It says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives, respect your husband and affirm his authority. That's what he's teaching us here. You, know, you ask that question, how might a, a tone of voice, your, your words, your body language, your, your attitude affirm and respect your husband, you know? Do you speak this truth to your children if you have them? Do, do they, in effect, respect your husband as well? And I'll, I'll tell you, if, if Laura didn't affirm my role of, uh, of being a head in the home, I don't think I could lead well. I, I would quickly become passive. Another way that submission looks in marriage is, is a wife's willingness to follow her husband's lead without complaining or holding a grudge for, for any mistakes that might be made. You see, once a, a husband does make the decision that, that isn't sinful, it's the wife's duty to jump on board and, and to joyfully support his decision. You, you want to see these things succeed. 
Uh, submission means that, that she tries her hardest to, to see this plan succeed, whether she agreed beforehand or not. Uh, wives, when you obey this command, you're ultimately uh, affirming your trust in God. God has given husbands this authority to lead and to make these final decisions. Your role is to offer insight, to offer wisdom and, and ideas and prayers and, and even correction. You see, a, a wise husband will know that his wife is, is the greatest partner that God has given him, the greatest advisor that he has, and, and will listen well to this. But, but women, we guys are, are going to make mistakes. That's bound to happen. We make wrong calls. Hopefully we can come and repent when we have or acknowledge it. But, but submission also speaks to that. You see, you've got to be quick to forgive your husband when that happens. And I, I say that because marriages fall apart, fall apart where there is no forgiveness. Uh, in Colossians 3, 12-13, there's this direction given for Christians, right? He's directing at Christians, not marriages, but it's incredibly uh, applicable to our marriages and, and certainly put into practice in marriage more than any other place probably. Here God teaches us, and he says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive each other. This is true in marriage in an incredible way. First uh, Peter 3, 1 through 2, even speaks to women who have come to faith and their husbands ha- have not. And it says this, it says, <clears throat> Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, even uh, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In this call to submission in, in God's word, there's this opportunity to, to use your, your gifting, your abilities for, for gospel purposes, for the good of your, your husband, for the good of your family, for the good of your, your savior. Uh, and again, uh, we can learn from the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, verses 11 through 12 tell us this. It says, the heart, listen to this, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of your life. Let me, let me give you an example of this. Um, it goes both ways. Uh, Laura will fill up her schedule like crazy, and she'll wear herself out, and, and, and I'll tell her, Laura, I want you to make some margin in your life. You, you've got to cut something out so you can rest. Um, you know, for, for her own wellness, you know, so you can care for your, your family and, and so that the places and, and the people that you do serve are, are able to be ministered to with, with you being refreshed, not absolutely exhausted. And, and we have this conversation, and she'll counter, but, you know, uh, uh, kind of back and forth, but, but ultimately she'll, she'll submit to this, and, and, and she'll tell me later, never in the moment, but, but later, you know, it's, it's freeing to have someone tell her what, what she needs because it's hard to, to say no in these situations. We conversed on it. We discussed her schedule, but, but she also knew that simply to say no wouldn't, wouldn't be obedience to this passage we're looking at here. But let me, let me also offer you this. Uh, we had a similar conversation about whether I should go to Presbytery. It's a, it's a meeting of Presbyterian ministers and churches in, in a region, and it was in Kansas City this weekend. And um, I felt I needed to be there because it's my responsibility to, to be there, to take part in that. But I also know I stayed up really late most of the week and got up early as the Houston Astros were winning the World Series. Uh, <clears throat> whether that was wise or not is, well, probably not even debatable. Uh, but either way, the responsibilities throughout the, you know, the week and other things just left me absolutely exhausted. And so uh, by the time Friday morning comes along, I wake up, I'm exhausted, I can feel my body starting to get sick, just miserable. 
And so Laura gives me these reasons why I should not go to this presbytery and, and to plan better in the future so you can go to these things and not be so exhausted. And, and I wanted to hear her reasoning. And, and yet in the end, it, it was my decision to make. And that's weird, right? That doesn't sound right, but that's the way it was. I, 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 if I didn't take her advice, it, it wouldn't be an issue of, of failing to submit, perhaps unwise, but, but, but I had the authority to, to do so. In case you're wondering, I did take her advice. Uh, and I'm glad I did. I'd be miserable today if I didn't. Uh, let me also tell you this, that as a man, uh, the authority given here is, is terrifying. Wives, ask your husband, you know. It, it can be terrifying. A, a big part of me, you know, doesn't want to be responsible. But, but God's called us to lead, and, and, if, and if we're not going to do so, that we're abrogating authority, which, which we'll touch on next week a little more. But, you know, those of you who are wives, let me, let me tell you this. Nothing leads a man to be more careful about his decisions, to consider his wife and his family with, with caution and great care, more than the knowledge that she will follow him. That's a terrifying thing. I mean, that's some crazy heavy responsibility. I don't even like to be the guy leading in a caravan of cars. I'm not sure where I'm going. If I turn wrong, we're all turning wrong. Uh, men, though, can, can you imagine your, your wife telling you this? That saying, I, I'm concerned how this job change will affect our family, our, our time together, our finances. But I, I trust you, and, and I will support whatever you decide. Please take care of us. That's some heavy stuff. I mean, to know someone that will follow you, not that you have to win an argument for it, but, but they're going to follow you. That's some responsibility to take up and carry seriously. So then the, the bottom line here is if you're a Christian wife, the, the call of God on you is one of submission. And, and I'll go ahead and ask, does this still sound unfair to you? Does it sound unfair? Is it unfair? It might be. It, it might be unfair. I'll tell you, God never said life is fair. We, we know that our Lord loves justice, yes, but he never said that everything would be fair. And you might hate that at first, but that's a good thing. I mean, think about the gospel itself. Is, is it fair that the perfectly innocent, holy Jesus was executed on a Roman cross? Is it fair that he should bear the wrath deserved by sinners like, like you and I? Is that fair? Is it fair that in, in Christ your sin is forgiven and, and you're counted righteous even as you continue to sin in your life? Is that fair? And the answer to all that is, is certainly no. It's not fair. But it's good. It's good. Um, it, it's good and our, our God is good and, and he has good intentions for you as a wife. Do, do you trust him with this? He's designed this so that you, you might flourish so that you might be blessed, so that you might be a blessing to your husband and your family and your community and, and rightly reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. That's, that's what he's doing here. And that's no small thing that, that you get to reflect the love of Christ and the relationship between Christ and his beloved church. So this, this hasn't been an extensive study, I know that. Um, I, I imagine you still have questions, and I'll encourage you to ask those questions. You can ask them to me, you can ask them to, you know, around the church. This is a good discussion to continue. 
There simply isn't time to cover every exception, every condition, every situation. Uh, my hope here is that this gives you a thirst to say, okay, I see it in Scripture. I have a thirst to know more of what that means. How do I put that into practice? Uh, and, and by all means, you know, uh, follow up, ask questions. Uh, I'll, I'll say my, my wife recommends a book she, she enjoyed titled uh, Feminine Appeal by Carolyn Mahaney that she found was really helpful in understanding these topics. Uh, those of you who are married, let me encourage you to have a conversation this week. Seriously, have the conversation. I know this is that homework assignment. It's like, well, there's no test. Let's not do it. Um, but it's good for you. You know, ask, you know, ask this question. Uh, when was the last time submission was practiced? That's an awkward question, even between a husband and wife. Uh, ask that. But then throw out some real-life scenarios from your life, you know, things to discuss. You know, what is, what is godly leading? What does godly submission look like in this situation? Uh, you know, how, how do we go about buying a new car? Uh, should we change jobs or leave the army or, or whatever? Uh, how are we going to handle our children's education? Or what's discipline look like? I mean, with things like this, what do, you, what do you do if one of you thinks the most brilliant idea you've ever had is to buy like a 70-inch 4K TV? And the other one's like, that is the terrible use of our money. How do you resolve these things? How do you resolve it where you're not bitter at each other afterwards? How do you come to conclusions? These, these are the real-world ways that we have to deal with these things. You know, wives, do you follow your husband's leading even if you prefer something different and it's not sinful? What, what does this look like? These are conversations that, to have, not, not in the moment, but beforehand, so you know how you're going to function through these. And let me just mention one more thing before we close, and it's this. If, if you're single and you're here today, you might be thinking, this, what, what's this have to do with me? Maybe? Um, a whole lot, actually. A whole lot. It, it should play into your, your dating and your discernment on, on the man you want to marry, or the, you know, the, the woman we'll, we'll see next week. Um, make sure I'm clear. The man you want to marry if you're a woman. Um, <laughs> You see, if you're an unmarried woman, and in light of what we have learned here, and in light of God's word, be careful who you marry. You, you have absolute freedom to, to choose your husband, right? But remember that after the wedding, you're going to be called to submit yourself to this man. You're surrendering autonomy and decision-making to, to this man that you're going to marry. And I say that so you can think ahead of time. You know, be, be wise. You know, commit to only marry someone who is a disciple of Christ. Yes, but that's bottom level, right? And, and ask yourself, does this man have the spiritual maturity to, to lead me well? Ask your thing, you know, questions like this. Is, is his kindness towards me? Is, is this an overflow of godliness in his life? Or is it just because he likes me right now? That's his feelings. Will you trust this man to, to be the head of your family? You know, ask yourself, really ask yourself, can I submit to him? Will I flourish under his, his leadership? Because you don't, you don't have to say yes to every man that proposes to you. That, just make sure you know that, right? <laughs> All right. Well, men, um, I want you to make every effort to be here, women too, so you can hold your man accountable, um, as we're going to look at what it means to, to love your wife. Uh, and, and wives, I hope you don't feel beat down by this. It's a challenge for sure. God's word challenges us in our life. Um, but it's for your good. It's the goodness of the Lord in your life. If you have more questions, by all means, please ask me. Uh, I'll be around afterwards. You can ask any of the other guys around here, anyone. Uh, discuss this. We'd love to see these kind of things discussed among the church. Uh, let me pray.